Welcome to another episode of the Teddy Talks podcast. My name is Teddy Parsons, your host and continued agitator for the next 30 minutes or so. I am so happy you are joining us today. On this episode, we welcome our special guest, Muhammad Khalil, a professor of religious studies, adjunct professor of law, and the director of the Muslim Studies Program at Michigan State University, located in East Lansing, Michigan. Good afternoon, Muhammad. How are you? Good afternoon, Teddy. Thank you for inviting me. Most certainly. I'm so excited about this conversation. So again, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us today on Teddy Talks. So who is Muhammad, and what should our listeners need to know about you? Okay, well, this Muhammad, uh, I was born in the, uh, the late 70s in, uh, in the greater Lansing area. I was raised in East Lansing, Michigan. My parents are from Egypt, uh, and uh, I uh, attended a school down the road called the University of Michigan, but I'm a, a Spartan fan here in Michigan State. Um, but anyway, I attended the University of Michigan and uh, received all of my degrees from there, and what's interesting is I even spent a year and a half in dental school at the University of Michigan. Uh, and one of the major reasons I, I ended up leaving dental school was because of 9-11. Um, and uh, I decided to pursue a graduate degree in Islamic studies. And, uh, and from, then I, from there, I went off to the University of Illinois. Uh, and that was my first position uh, as a professor of religion at the University of Illinois. And then uh, a, uh, a position opened here in my hometown of East Lansing, and uh, next thing I know, I was back in town. Great. That is fascinating. Thank you again for sharing that. Um, so, Muhammad, I, again, I'm so deeply appreciative of your being on today's podcast to discuss Sharia law. We have yes. heard the term Sharia law a lot lately in the news, especially as it relates to the ongoing tensions in Afghanistan. A senior Taliban commander was recently quoted telling the news source Reuters that there will be no democratic system in Afghanistan. It is Sharia law and that is it. Bear with me here, this is a long one. So <laughs> here is what I understand Sharia law to be. Sharia is Islam's legal system. It comes from the Quran and also known as Islam's holy book, along with deeds and sayings of the prophet Muhammad. A lot of people may have a negative view of Sharia law and some associate it to terrorism. Can you please share with us what exactly is Sharia law and its importance to Muslims around the world? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I understand why many in the West uh, may have a negative impression of Sharia law, and that's because of what they're seeing on TV, what they're hearing. Um, it's usually Sharia mentioned in a negative context, and in, usually, a re usually in a kind of an extreme context. And I think it's important here that we recognize that one of the challenges in talking about Islam in, a, in let's say, an American context is the problem of terminology. There are certain terms that mean one thing to the average Muslim and something very different in Western media and culture. And Sharia is a good example of this. Sharia, linguistically, it really means the path and, and it's often said that it's the path that leads to the watering hole. So it's a, it's a path that leads you to water, a source, you know, something that you need. And actually the word sharia is related to the word shari'a, which means street. So this is a common Arabic word, shari'a, which means street. So sharia is the path, the path you take. And the idea is that this is the path you take to be in line with God's will. 
and to reach God. And of course, then, many Muslims will say they love Sharia because they want to be, they want to be on the path to God. They want to be um, connected to God. The problem is, how do we interpret Sharia? And the fact of the matter is that Muslims interpret Sharia a whole lot of different ways. In fact, in the fourth Islamic century, there was a Muslim scholar who compiled a list of all the issues that Muslim scholars agree on when it comes to Sharia. And published today, it's a short little book, 166 pages, I think, something like that. In the same century, another scholar compiled the list of all the issues Muslims disagree on when it comes to Sharia. And it was a huge, voluminous work. And I bet you if someone were to do the same thing today, the things that Muslims agree on would be a nice, cute little pamphlet. And what they disagree on, you'd have enough books to fill a football stadium. <laughs> and so the one of the key things that I think we have to emphasize here is that there are a lot of different interpretations of Sharia. Now, I should clarify that there are some interpretations that are more authoritative than others. There are some interpretations that have been advocated by um, well-respected, widely recognized scholars of Islamic law. And here I should point out that Islam has a rich kind of legal tradition. And I, I want to be careful of using this term legal because all kinds that come that brings with it all kinds of connotations. But when I say legal, think of, for instance, the Jewish tradition and the rabbinical tradition, where you have all kinds of um, ritual laws. And I think when we think of Sharia, that should be the first thing that comes to our minds. Because when Muslims speak of Sharia, usually what they're thinking about is okay, what are the rules for prayer, for, for fasting? Um, what about marriage and divorce, and so on and so forth? So, Muhammad, oh, I'm sorry, were you finished? I didn't want oh, to I was, yes. Oh, thank you so much. That was fascinating. And thank you uh, so much for sharing that very important information. We're going to be sure to list your information about you and your amazing work you do under the episode narrative for today's Teddy Talks podcast so people know how to reach you. Um, you know, and I don't have to tell you that this, but there is a long history of those who do not understand or are opposed to Sharia law. For example, during the 2012 US election, there were some strong efforts being made by at least two dozen states to ban Sharia law across the US. Many claimed that this was more of a response to a perceived threat and about more about promoting anti-Muslim sentiment than actually preserving American law. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think the latter opinion that you mentioned is on point because the fact of the matter is that um, Sharia law could not take over American law uh, because of American law, <laughs> because of the stipulation, because of the, you know, the, the First Amendment and so on. And um, there, I have a colleague actually at the, in the College of Law, Frank Ravitch, who writes about, who has discussed this, who writes about this. And, and really this, um, what it comes down to is that this was a scare tactic. This was um, making people uh, worried about Muslims taking over America and really, all that people could point to was maybe a case where a judge arrived at a ruling that was questionable, but then the ruling was overturned anyway. Um, 
I mean, and, and this was not a Muslim judge, I should point out, this is a judge who deferred to a, an interpretation, a controversial interpretation within Sharia law. And then that generated a lot of controversy. And, uh, and of course, in a post 9-11 context, um, and, and you know, in, in with the ground zero mosque discourse in the background, these things will take on Islamophobic tropes and will be promoted uh, by a wide variety of people. Yeah, that was a great explanation of that, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, as I'm thinking about, um, you know, uh, for example, in uh, Grand Rapids, where I'm from, you know, there's uh, two very um, amazing mosques. And, um, and I just, I think about, you know, we saw what just a few years ago, there was uh, a lot of attacks against uh, uh, Jewish Americans and, uh, you know, the synagogues and that. So I, I just, I'm glad you referenced 9-11 because I think sometimes we forget uh, that, um, I'm trying to word this appropriately, it seems that there's sometimes, um, uh, people get caught up in the hype of what we hear in the news or what uh, we're told, and then that becomes, uh, uh, I guess, they use that as a way to attack other religions. So, um, but yes. thank you. Yeah. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. I. Um, so, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this because, you know, uh, many religions around the world use different resources to provide guidance for a person's ethical and moral well-being. Uh, for example, one of these that we all know is the Bible. As we know, there are so many interpretations of the Bible based on a person's chosen faith and or their personal beliefs. Do you believe that this applies also to Muslims as well when it comes to how they interpret, interpret uh, Sharia law? Yeah, and one thing I should point out is that with regard to Sharia law, it's not as if there is like, a, like the Sharia book, for example, right? Um, the fact of the matter is that Sharia is the result, the product of a whole bunch of different things. So first of all, there is the Islamic holy book, which is the Quran. And the Quran is considered the word of God. Muslims revere the Quran. However, interestingly, the Quran has some law in it, but not a whole lot. In fact, the, most of the text is not legal in any sense of the term. And so, um, here you have this text, the scripture, with some law, but not a whole lot. Um, then you have what are called hadiths, and a hadith is a report of something the prophet Muhammad or Muhammad said or did, and there are thousands upon thousands of hadiths of varying levels of authenticity. So people will, Muslims will debate whether the prophet Muhammad, who, who dies in 632 of the common era, whether he actually said or did what he is reputed to have said or done. Um, so you have this huge source and people disagree on which of those sources are authentic. And that's significant because your perception of the prophet may be related to which source, which hadiths you consider authentic. And there are, of course, other sources, but those are the key, the two big ones. And imagine now, in addition to all this, you have now Muslim scholars with their various interpretations, living in various contexts with various assumptions and, and preconceptions. So this explains why there is such a rich diversity. Um, and uh, 
and so and we go back to the Quran, you know, you mentioned the Bible, you go back to the Quran. The Quran is, is what unites Muslims. It's what Muslims agree on. It's then how they interpret it. That's where you find the, the major differences. Yeah, you know, and I want to kind of segue off of that. Thank you so much, Muhammad. Um, and it's to my understanding while researching information for our discussion that there are five main things that Sharia law aims to preserve. Those are life, learning, family, property, and honor. From these come different laws about things like marriage, eating, worship, financial security, and many other essential aspects of living in a community. Are these five laws a strict practice for Muslims around the world, or does this differ based on your geographical location? So what's interesting about these, uh, what are sometimes called um, the objectives of Sharia, uh, is that they are, um, this, this, these five things were actually formulated in a list centuries after the beginnings of Islam. And what it is, is Muslim scholars say, trying to make sense of Sharia, like, okay, we have this, we have all these examples from the prophet, we have these passages from the Quran, what is the purpose of all this? And so they came up with this list, they said, okay, well, there are these objectives, this is all trying to preserve five things. And what are the five things? They're the things that you mentioned. And by the way, some may, may differ here and there about one of, the, one of the, um, the items in the list, but certainly like life and faith, property, th these are things that people agree on. And so these, these, this list is basically a, an attempt by Muslims to summarize the, the, what Sharia is trying to do. Yeah. So, Muhammad, what is it about Sharia law that makes people so uncomfortable, uh, probably more so uh, people outside of the Muslim faith? Why do, yes. What do you believe causes this? Why are they feeling right. this? Um, very curious about that. Well, there are um, two things that come to mind. The first is the association with terrorism. Um, you look at not, something like an event like 9-11, a tragedy like 9-11. And this, of course, is an event that is, um, it's one of the sad points in American history. And many people see, they look to Osama bin Laden, they look to him, and they, they assume that this is because of his interpretation of Sharia. And, and they assume then that because it is an interpretation of Sharia, that therefore Sharia is an existential threat. And this is actually something that I've written about. Um, and when we actually analyze 9-11, we find that when you look at, for example, the interviews uh, with bin Laden after 9-11, what's interesting is when he attempts to justify the attacks, he actually demonstrates a lack of understanding of Sharia, and this is not some kind of apologetic whitewashing. I'll give you a clear example. After the attacks, he's interviewed by Al Jazeera, and he says that in Sharia, we have a, 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 very, a, a principle that, yeah, we're not supposed to target innocent civilians, but if an enemy force targets our innocent civilians, then we are permitted to target their innocent civilians and this is the view of four scholars of the past, four jurists or scholars of Islamic law or Sharia law. And he mentions four names. And what's interesting is, if you actually take the time and analyze the four scholars that he mentions, never, not once, do any of them say what he claims that they're saying, 
And what's interesting is that one of the names he mentions, Al-Qurtubi, explicitly says the opposite in his commentary on the Quran. Uh, and for those who are interested in the fifth, chapter five or surah five, verse eight, he says the exact opposite, that if an enemy targets our civilians, we cannot target their civilians, even if that caused us great harm. So here you have Usama bin Laden seeming to appear to be, you know, it seems that he's quoting Sharia, he's invoking Sharia, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. And now there are some things where he, he's, he's on point, but clearly here he was not, on, and then this is such a major thing because this is about 9-11. This is about the killing of innocent civilians. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, uh, Muhammad, where can our listeners locate factual information about Sharia law so they can be better educated on what this truly is and what a Sharia law represents? That's a really good question. And that's a hard question to answer, frankly, because one of the challenges is, okay, if I, you know, obviously I would recommend taking a college course, taking a, you know, a course at, at a local university. Um, but outside of that, it's challenging because the, you're going to have, um, if you go to, let's say, Muslim or institutions and organizations, you have to account for the differences of opinion, right, within, among Muslims. And that can, so it's tricky to navigate that. Um, but there are some sources, there are some texts. Um, for instance, um, there are books on uh, Islamic law that are published by university presses that are pretty decent. Um, it, at the moment, I frankly can't think of a good uh, academic introduction. Usually the texts that I have in mind are a little advanced, um, but I'll let you know if I, if I, if maybe for in, in the, uh, you know, when, when you have the, the resources listed, maybe I'll think of something to add there. Yeah, most certainly. And would you be open, um, you know, as we list your information that if people have questions, they can oh, reach yes. out to you directly? Oh, great. A absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to probably excuse me if I'm speaking out of ignorance here, but I thought I remember a few years ago um, when I met the uh, Imam of the East Lansing, um, uh, the mosque, if, if I remember correctly, I thought they offered like a class um, for the public. Um, yes, they do. The Muslim they, faith in. Yes, they have an Islam 101. And from the times that I have attended, it seems that it's very good, actually. It's, I would highly recommend it. Okay, good. Okay, I, re I remember him telling, uh, by the way, I find him absolutely fascinating. Um, yes. He's so progressive and I just find him absolutely fascinating. So um, yes. good, I'm glad. So we'll make sure that we provide that information as well. So, um, so Muhammad, I always ask my guests this, um, who is someone you respect and admire? Who has inspired you? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, um, I, I, obviously, parents and, and, and relatives come to mind, but as for others, well, I'll say this. I mean, look, I'm a Muslim and my name maybe gives it away, but uh, I'm, I'm deeply impacted by the prophet Muhammad um, and what I read about him. Uh, and I understand why some would have a negative impression of him. Um, I don't because of the way I read the sources and I just, I find him very inspiring. Um, he, uh, um, I, whenever I'm looking for inspiration, that's, that's where I look. Uh, and of course, my upbringing and my biases go into all of that, but that's, that would be my answer. Great. So let me ask you, Muhammad, what would you tell 20-year-old Muhammad? What life lesson would you go back and tell your 20-year-old self? 
Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question because at that point I was pre-dental and uh, <laughs> I was looking ahead to a very different life. Well, um, I, I would say uh, study what, what, what drives you. What, 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 you know, don't just go with, don't think about the money because that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about the money. Um, I would say uh, pursue that which, which nourishes your soul, which satisfies you. Um, and that's why I ultimately went into religious studies because this nourishes my soul. Like I'm, I'm surprised they pay me to do the research that I do. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised that people come on this podcast. So thank you for being here. Let me ask you, um, what do you like most about your job? What, what inspires you, Muhammad? What do you like most about what you do? Well, in the classroom, what I love is challenging uh, misconceptions. Um, and that can be, and, and just to be clear, this could be misconceptions by non-Muslims. It could be misconceptions by Muslims. And I just love seeing their eyes light. You know, I like seeing their faces light up when I introduce something they had no idea about their entire life. Like here's some, here's a whole new piece of information you didn't know about. And it just, maybe it challenges everything that they assumed. And that's, that for me is, is an exciting moment in the classroom. Yeah. Um, it, it just made me think back to, I used to go to a, a church in Grand Rapids that uh, was very liberal. And uh, one of the things I loved about that church is um, they didn't, you know, and, uh, you know, here in the U.S. we have what's called Sunday school. So the kids go off to Sunday school. Um, they called it character school. And yes. um, the children actually went through every faith. Uh, they uh, went to a synagogue. They went to a mosque. They had to learn the Quran, and I just I love that because what they were doing yes. is they were uh, they wanted the children. So the coming of age was 14 years old in that church, and by that time, um, you know they caught it crossing the bridge, um, you know, to your adult faith. And I love the fact that the kids could decide what faith they really wanted to belong to. Um, yes. And so I thought it was such a powerful thing because there were some kids uh, when they, you know, you know, they have to go through a whole process, but they didn't really identify to a faith. And, mm. and in that church, that was okay, uh, because it meant there was still time for growth and stuff. But so I think that's really interesting. Like, I love the idea that, you know, probably a lot of your students come into the class uh, with uh, very confirmed thoughts and um, on religion based on how they were raised. Would that be uh, true? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's interesting about a course like the one that I teach, like the Islam course that I teach, is you'll have really every kind of student you could imagine. I mean, as far as religious backgrounds. And, um, and so, you know, and you'll have groups that maybe outside of the classroom, maybe on opposite sides, maybe opposing one another on some political issue, but here they are in the classroom working together, laughing together. So it's a really interesting environment, actually. Yeah. So unfortunately, Muhammad, our time together is coming to an end. I really want to thank you again for joining me today on Teddy Talks. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. I have truly enjoyed our conversation and hope we will see you again on a future episode. You can find out more about Muhammad and the great work he does at teddytalks.com. As we close, please, our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to all of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. May love, joy, hope, and peace be your guiding star. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us on this special episode of Teddy Talks. Remember, no matter where life's journey takes you, it's always a great time to grab a cup of coffee, some hot tea, or a martini, and let's keep talking. Mm -hmm.